Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And good morning, yes, it is a beautiful morning. Uh, no clouds whatsoever in the skies, where we are anyway this morning. Hope it is the same where you are across Cork. 1850-333-103. Our lines are open. Bernie uh, taking your calls this morning on our own, so just be aware of that if lines get busy. Bernie uh, taking your phone calls this morning and all your comments to 1850-333-103. Or a text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You can email across the morning, jp at c103.ie or indeed tweet us at C103Cork and ahead on the programme something that we've got a lot of calls about over the last few weeks and this is about the music and entertainment industry and what is going to happen for the future of this industry they have suffered so much due to Covid Uh, a lot of people will say they were the first to close and they still not have reopened live gigs are cancelled dance halls remain closed and they will remain closed for a long long while in line with nightclubs and that type of thing so there's no chance that they could open and if they were allowed to open, some operators are saying that they will not open them because they just don't feel they could control anything that could go on in a nightclub or indeed a dance hall while COVID is still around. So on that, we've got a lot of local artists who aren't willing to speak to us on air but are concerned about the future of their industry and also people who on a Thursday night or a Friday night gather in a local bar in the local town or village they play a few Irish tunes they have what is called a session uh, that's not going ahead and they miss that and people who go along miss the gigs miss the live music miss that particular entertainment in a bar uh, so with that in mind what is going to happen and artists themselves are finding it hard to cope as the COVID payment the pandemic unemployment payment as that has been reduced this week. Uh, we'll speak with Nathan Carter, a well-known country and Irish singer, on the show on what indeed they are now calling for within that industry for everybody, not just the ones, as people would say, on the top who are earning high wages, but also for those who are working with the bands, uh, the people working on sounds, the 
per people working on the gigs and those on a local level who perform on local bars and local arenas uh, how are they going to manage uh, how are they going to pay back their mortgages their loans etc and also how are they feeling how are they coping mentally because they all get a buzz out of performing and going on stage and doing what they do but how are they now shaping up following six months or more of basically not doing very much so we'll hear and speak to Nathan later on the show also when it comes to our schools school principals are calling for more support from our government instead of more checklists from inspectors. Uh, this follows moves from the Education Department this week and it seems now and it is happening that the Health and Safety Authority inspectors, they are going to be visiting schools to see basically if schools are adhering to the COVID-19 guidelines and why uh, many schools and any parents we have spoken to said schools are adhering to the guidelines. Uh, principals are concerned because they are looking for more support rather than uh, principals and teachers being put under pressure hearing that an inspector is calling to the school today and they're basically checking to see that everybody is adhering uh, to those particular guidelines. So we'll be discussing that with the Irish Primary Principals Network on the show this morning. And also a four day a week, wherever you work at the moment, could you work a four day a week? And why I know some people are still working from home, a four day a week is being looked at. We spoke about this earlier this year and a feasibility study was going to be carried out. That has been carried out. And it seems from that study, the majority of employers and employees are happy and they say it's feasible. Now, it physically can't happen in every single industry. Some just could not operate on a four-day week. So it is only some areas of business can do this. But with that in mind, those who can do it are looking at a more flexible style of work for their employees. So they will be looking uh, for maybe people working if they're working eight hours a day, they, you might uh, finish early on one of those days and work longer on another day, that type of thing. Uh, so it is something, it might not be all about a four day a week, but they are looking at improving the, the flexibility for employees in all areas, if possible. But four day a week for some will be a reality. We'll discuss that with Forza, the trade union this morning on the show. And we're going to look ahead to Culture Night for Cork County with a travel playwright, Katie Holly. A lot of culture around us here in Cork. A lot of it will be online this year we'll look ahead on and look about culture night and what is happening and how the arts as well have taken a hit over the last few months and Cork City Fire Service they are recruiting at the moment and our own senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran went along to Betty Villani yesterday and she took part in the training process to become a firefighter but how did she get on I'd assume it's tough we'll hear from Fiona on how she got on yesterday with the Cork City Fire Service after midday and our movie review, movie review even with Mark after 12.30 Mark will be in reviewing the old 80s film into the 90s and now it's back Bill and Ted face the music if you remember them uh, they are back for 2020 and Mark will review that movie and more uh, between 10 and 1 and your views are welcome Bernie taking your calls 1853 333103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and a story this morning that is a worrying story it's in the Irish Examiner uh, from Daniel McConnell, their political editor. And this, again, is in relation to the meat industry. And the meat industry and health authorities have been slammed after it has emerged that the meat plants, or that our meat plant in Cork, had 226 positive COVID cases 
but never closed and that was creating a major health risk for the local community. Uh, local politicians have it out at the failure of the meat industry and indeed the HSE to move more swiftly to continue or to contain that particular outbreak at the plant or indeed just to alert the local community what was going on. They say it's just totally unacceptable and speaking in the Dáil yesterday Sinn Féin Deputy Leader Piers Doherty he revealed uh, the number of positive cases about this particular plant. He asked why nothing had been done and he also asked what hold do meat barons have over the state. Mr Doherty went on to say that these particular barons were playing with people's lives in the interest of profit and he added that the testing was suspended in plants last week when capacity reached 72,000 and not the 100,000 limit. So with that and with the emergence that there was in July one plant which had 226 cases and they understand that the plant is here in Cork and it was never closed down and then we have the situation that the testing in meat plants was suspended last week a lot of questions are being asked it's something we will go into more detail on the show on Monday uh, to get more clarification on that but I know we did during the summer contact Meat Industry Ireland themselves about testing here in meat plants in Cork and earlier on this summer they openly came back to us and said they were were not testing at meat plants in Cork. Then in August, they confirmed they were testing nationwide and that was being conducted by the HSE. And just as we know, then a few weeks ago and last week especially, we heard on the show that they have now stopped uh, testing at the meat factories. The HSE has stopped testing at the meat factories when it comes to COVID. So that is a concern uh, for all, especially those communities who, as everybody's obeying and abiding by the restrictions and then to hear that coming out, that you don't know what is happening in your own community and again, it goes back to the meat industry. Uh, it's something we will go back to on the show on Monday, but I'm sure many in Cork concerned at that. And more information, I'm sure, will come out across the weekend. Anyhow, your views are welcome. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And on COVID, uh, staying with that particular theme, Uh, We learned yesterday of 240 confirmed cases of COVID, eight of those in Cork, but still a large number are from Dublin. And it does look like now that Dublin, from later on tonight, will move into level three restrictions. But the big thing here for Dubliners is the restaurant and bars are going to be hit again because it seems for Dublin that they may only be permitted to offer a takeaway service or indeed outdoor dining when these new restrictions come in. A lot of people feel, though, that they are needed and they need to go down this particular route to more or less go in a you wouldn't call it a full lockdown but a a sort of a lockdown anyhow for Dublin when they go to level 3 and that is expected to happen uh, from tomorrow the government are due to come out later this evening uh, by way of a press conference and announce this and uh, indications are looking at anyway that that they could be tomorrow when level 3 restrictions do hit Dublin uh, but we'll find out later across the day if that is going to be confirmed or not but it looks like now Dublin will be facing those particular restrictions which a lot of people uh, were looking for over the last few weeks given the high numbers in Dublin but for us here in Cork it doesn't really affect us because the pubs that don't serve food the so-called wet pubs they will reopen on Monday and a lot of those who were closed are welcoming that move here for Cork and saying it is a welcome need for the industry to get back on its feet anyhow your views are welcome 1850 Bernie taking your calls this morning or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862103103 Good morning to you our lines are open 1850 I mentioned there regarding Dublin and the level 3 restrictions that are due to hit Dublin uh, from midnight tonight an announcement 
announcement due to be made later this evening on what they're facing in Dublin. A lot of people feel they do need to take action when it comes to that particular city and county. It won't affect us here in Cork. But Carol on text says, Good morning, JP. D cars have landed in West Cork already over the last day or so, escaping the lockdown in Dublin, says Carol. Now, I know we did mention this earlier in the week that, and I know I have friends myself who do drive a D-Ridge car. It doesn't mean they're actually from Dublin and they could be just always here in Cork with a D-Ridge car because that's what the register was when they bought it. But uh, I know back in March, I suppose, or April, when we were going into the actual full lockdown then, we did have reports that people were uh, travelling from other areas of the county to areas like uh, East Cork and West Cork uh, to avail of the scenic and avail of their holiday homes and that seems to be happening again and I suppose was due to happen considering what is going on in Dublin. Uh, we're aware of people who did leave Dublin back in March, uh, moved everything to their holiday homes in either East Cork or West Cork and haven't gone back since. And we've heard from those people on the show. Uh, but Carol, this morning, making the point that she feels already uh, those who have holiday homes from Dublin are moving down ahead of these restrictions going to take place in Dublin. And a texter here saying, I think all those TDs should be tested before they leave Dublin and before they come back to their area. And also because of the scare that they had within the Doyle, if they are coming back to other parts of the country, they indeed could be a carrier. Uh, would you agree with that particular person? on text that TDs now that are in Dublin coming back home to their various constituencies this weekend that they should be tested before returning back in case they are a carrier and bringing uh, the particular virus to their local area that may not have any uh, level of COVID-19 at the moment and Pat in Formoy says we just need to close the off licences for six weeks. Most of the problem is gatherings in households and not wearing masks and Pat says he was passing schools recently at lunchtime or playtime and he says the teachers were also standing close together and he felt that that should not be the case and he said some of those teachers were not wearing masks also Uh, so mask wearing is a problem says Pat and also He's asking about the off licences and should they close for six weeks, given we keep hearing the problem is coming from indoor gatherings and gatherings in households. Do they now need to look at off licences the same way they did look at bars and restaurants over the last while? Anyhow, your views welcome on that. 1850-333-103. And on schools, schools are facing severe disruption. Some teacher unions are saying, especially the Teacher Union of Ireland, the TUI, they say that possible closures due to delays in COVID testing is going to happen because again it's coming up that we're not testing enough and the testing is too slow in this country that the turnaround for testing I mean we've heard from callers to this show who have gone for a COVID test and have not got their results back uh, for four days some have got it back in two days but some have said it's taken four days or longer and if that is the case you're having that particular person and their household out of work uh, for four or five days if it was a quicker turnaround you would would not be in that situation and schools are saying the same this morning we'll get to the school issue very shortly and regarding the pandemic the pandemic unemployment Employment payment, the PUP, or the COVID payment, as a lot of people refer it to. Well, a cut of up to 100 euros a week now is going to take place in that particular payment for more than 200,000 people. It started this week. Now, obviously enough, opposition to these have strongly criticised the particular move, uh, saying it is going to push people into poverty. And that is what we are hearing from those affected. But basically, for those inquiring, uh, the particular rate, it's moved now to two rates of a payment to three. So if a person previously earned more than €300 gross per week, they'll now receive €300 per week. If they earned between €200 and €300 gross, 
they'll now receive €250 from the pandemic unemployment payment per week. And if they earned less than €200 gross per week, the rate will be €203 per week. So that's the latest update when it comes to the uh, pandemic unemployment payment. A lot of people not happy with that. And very briefly, and this is a worry when it comes to banking and also competition for banking, it's Ulster Bank and their parent company in the UK is considering winding down uh, Ulster Bank here in the Republic of Ireland as, of course, it turns to a challenge now to run the business. Uh, the business business of banking, of course, is struggling and Ulster Bank, they say, is struggling with high costs and low profitability uh, ever since coronavirus came into being. Uh, but if this does happen, it does put more than 2,500 jobs on the line and it also affects 88 branches of uh, the particular banking uh, sector for Ulster Bank. Now, within that, it's NatWest, who, of course, formerly was the Royal Bank of Scotland. Uh, they're the parent company for Ulster Bank. Uh, they also are looking at mergers. And if that was to happen, uh, it looks the most likely bank that it could merge with would be permanent TSB. But there's been no approaches yet uh, by NatWest to those in permanent TSB. But of course, an exit of Ulster Bank from the particular banking market here would increase the dominance then of Bank of Ireland and AIB. And that would be a major blow when it comes to competition here in the market for banking. So one to watch on the future of Ulster Bank. 1850 Lines open, text or WhatsApp 0862103103. The issue though of the schools and those inspectors calling to schools to see if they're adhering to COVID-19 guidelines. Discussing that next. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. Safety checks will be carried out in schools to determine if they are complying with COVID-19 guidelines but the reports may not be able and not available to teachers and indeed parents. The Department of Education and indeed the Health and Safety Authority have agreed to a plan to monitor schools' compliance with the results then being shared with the school principal on the day of the inspection. But there are concerns though from schools and on this I'm joined by Damien White who's President of the Irish Primary Principals Network. Good morning to you Damien. Good morning, how are you? I'm fine thanks and thanks for joining us. On this, are you against these particular checks or do you feel the timing is poor considering that many principals had to sort the issue in schools themselves before they actually reopened? Yeah, I think you've probably nailed it there uh, because uh, it's not that we're ever against checks. We want to make sure that we have everything right and uh, indeed we have worked our socks off as a profession and all across the country we've had... uh, uh, schools complying with every demand that was made, with every circular that came out, most of them coming out, it has to be said, on a Friday evening late, and it meant that the principal had to spend that night and the following day trying to get get into their head what they needed to be thinking about for the following Monday to try and get the school up and running and ready. And we, uh, It's not the idea of uh, being inspected, it's the idea that... Uh, this is the best use of the inspectorate at a time when schools principals and school leaders are under unbelievable pressure. Many of them uh, haven't had any break or precious few days off since last March 12th when the schools closed and uh, between organising remote learning and uh, all of the issues that have accrued since and trying to get their schools ready and now leading their schools uh, in, 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 into the teeth of this pandemic. Uh, it's. I, I'm just. I, I'm very worried about the well-being and the welfare of principals at the moment. And uh, the, the notion of inspection. The inspectors were actually, uh, and we were very happy to hear that they were actually coming out in a kind of a guidance mode uh, 
to to support and maybe as a thing of language, but they were trying to. They, we we were happy that that's the that they would come out and that they would be a kind of a sounding board for the principal uh, in terms of how uh, and uh, how how the things should roll out because every school is in the same uh, as you know. Like there aren't. Uh, you sometimes you need a bespoke solution depending on the location of the school and so on. Uh, size of classrooms or issues around stairs or whatever it is that uh, some schools have and others haven't. Um, uh, drinking fountains. You know, there are many, many places where schools had to come to the, you know, use the regulations to figure out what was the right way to go about things. And look, it would be brilliant to have, for the principal to have the inspector as, a, as somebody to talk to in relation to that. The notion of inspecting it uh, has annoyed people somewhat because they do feel that they have spent their entire summer unaided by the department in terms of uh, getting their schools ready other than the announcements that are made. Um, now, and we appreciate totally that the department are were, were under pressure and they were dealing with an evolving situation. Uh, but nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, it has been the, the, the donkey work on the ground has been done by school leaders uh, who spent their entire summer and now they sort of feel, well, look at uh, somebody said on a previous uh, case, it's like having all the bales in and then some fella comes along and uh, stands and looks at it and says you have them in wrong. That that just wouldn't really help the situation. Do you know, yeah. a, a farming metaphor, but nonetheless kind of relevant here. It is. Uh, and when you mentioned there about the guidelines, we spoke with teachers over the last number of weeks. Many felt that those guidelines were just drip fed down and they caused confusion from one school to another because one school might do something, another school might do something different. And it was just a case of the information wasn't clarified, many felt, uh, from the department. But on this then, I mean, for any school, if you get an inspector coming from the education department, there is going to be some sort of anxiety concern because no one likes inspectors uh, let's be honest but when it comes to a fact that it's the HSA and if they say something is wrong in the school then what happens I mean does the school get punished uh, or does the principal is the education department going to visit the principal I mean what's the outcome if they do find something wrong in a particular school well I, I suppose the, the, the reality is that the HSA are the experts uh, in in health and safety that's what their people are qualified in that's what many of them have had to go study courses on uh, to become HSE uh, workers or uh, uh, inspectors and that that's their job uh, it was felt though that uh, and it's felt among our members that we could use the support of the inspectors uh, in several other ways one of the ways, uh, which is obvious at the moment, where a school has a case of uh, COVID-19, where, uh, where there's a, a pupil or a confirmed case or a staff member. And in terms of dealing with that, in terms of dealing with uh, the HSE, in terms of dealing with the various agencies that have to be dealt with, I, I, I believe that the inspectors could be in that space where they're supporting principals because uh uh, that to me is a more relevant space for them. It's a more natural space. School principals, our uh, school uh, inspectors, they're they're a very talented and capable bunch that have been took from our own profession, uh, in most cases, uh, into the job, and with a high regard for them and their opinions on things, uh, and they're always welcome in school. But uh, in this case, I think that it's a wrong use of their talents at a time when they're critically needed elsewhere and uh, we've uh, as a principal's organization the irish primary principals network and we're based there in cork we have um we have tried to fill that gap we've set up an out of our service to support principals 
And, you know, I was working till half 11 last night trying to uh, support a principal where there was a, potential, uh, there was a possible outbreak. Um, something that does worry me, though, uh, and just maybe going back to it, it to me, uh, the HSA has to worry about the health and welfare of employees. And there's no employees in the country, I'd say, bar probably frontline workers in, in, the, in, the, in, in the health service itself who are under more pressure uh, than... Uh, school principals at the moment. I, I, everyone is under pressure, and I appreciate that. But the, the, some people are at breaking point because they literally haven't had a chance of a break. And, and with that in mind, when you mentioned there about yeah. the school principal you spoke with last night and the fact that there could be a potential outbreak in a particular school, for example, would you rather, because I know teacher unions this morning are calling uh, for an increase in testing, would you rather they go down that route in increasing testing so then if a child or a student in that school may have COVID-19, the test results come around faster so it takes the pressure off the school on taking on a class or shutting down the entire school or, or whatever needs to be done considering the, the severity of the case would you rather them look at that and provide support that way rather than inspecting on what and what not you have done? Yeah, actually, it is one of the key things we are looking for is that uh, for uh, if where school staff or pupils are involved in order to keep schools running and running smoothly, that we that there would be priority testing and that it would be done as quickly as is humanly possible uh, so that uh, those people who are found uh, to be uh, to, have ne- to test negative can get back to school, can get back to work, because there is an acute shortage of substitute teachers, and to try and fill those gaps uh, is, is, is a huge challenge uh, for, for, for any school. And uh, the, more, the more often teachers are out, the more substitutes are needed, the more the, the, the pool is emptied of, of people that are available. So we would identify that, but we are absolutely also really pushing for an out-of-hours service from the HSE where you have qualified, experienced medical personnel to answer the anxious queries of school principals uh, who get a call sometime in the evening to say that somebody in a house has uh, COVID, be it a child, be it a, be it a staff member or whoever. And one of the, uh, the reason we want this is because the, the school principal is kind of bound to silence, if you like. You're, you're like a Harry Potter character. You're a keeper of secrets because you, you will hear something you are not, then you cannot spread the word of that in your school, uh, even though you may have concerns about uh, your fellow workers or uh, the children in the school or whatever are in a particular class or the, the particular health story of any of those people. You cannot uh, uh, get the word out or say anything about uh, somebody having have, uh, that, that there's a positive case in their class that the, all the communications then are down to the HSE. And it is causing huge tension for principals who are worried about relationships with staff and so on. Because uh, they're putting the principal under pressure, I presume, to say yeah. who it is and what's happening. Well, yeah, because uh, uh, one of the other things then, of course, is the social media kicks in and people, if, if, if somebody has it uh, or has, has a positive case, uh, is and and particularly you know someone starts to mention oh they have somebody in school and then there's a there's a, there's a chat on, on on Facebook or whatever and uh, the information's out there but the principal must remain dumb and that's a, a huge huge concern so really what we want and what we'd be asking for is that there be priority testing that the that the uh, principal. Uh, has uh, somebody to turn to uh, very quickly in the HSE 
that they have a, 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 a number that they can ring and they will be put through to somebody who can give them solid answers, who can, uh, and, and clear guidance and support. And the, the, the process kicks in very quickly to avoid that trouble that is caused by uh, a lack of communication uh, down to the amount of time that, you know, the, the, the time gap that's there uh, between the, 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 the news and the action. You know, there is a big, big problem yeah. there. The longer it goes on, is, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, well, I'll wait and see, and hopefully they do address that because that is an issue. If principles are, are obeying by the laws, but the message is out there, it, it makes it a very awkward place to work indeed. If that is a, a case that is happening across our schools in Ireland, uh, before I let you go, one thing, Damien, that has come up this morning is the wearing of masks in schools, and I presume teachers have to wear masks at certain times of the day. I know they wear a visor all the time. Uh, what is the situation on that for, for teachers in in all schools in the matter of wearing masks? Is it something that they must wear the mask all day? or is it only visors and then when they're out and about in a schoolyard that they have to wear uh, the masks uh, w- in, in, with the children or indeed with their fellow teachers? Well, I think the, the guidelines uh, around wearing masks are, are, are uh, quite clear, even though uh, things change up and down. Uh, but, you know, where you're not in contact with children or you're within your you're, you're, you're social distance away, that you're uh, safe enough without the mask. But where in situations of which... Uh, uh, you'll find yourself in Irish classrooms with very large classes and sometimes small classrooms. Some of the classrooms would be no more than 40 metres squared in the older buildings. Uh, it's it's simply impossible to guarantee your uh, safe distance. So uh, people have to make uh, a provision in that case, not just teachers, but uh, SNAs who might be giving uh, uh, care to, to, to a child and uh, have to provide that intimate care and are therefore obviously within two metres and so on. So um, I, I think that good sense, I'm hoping, is what will prevail around all of these things. And I just might mention that children are the heroes in this, and we sometimes forget to mention, uh, a principal did say that to me in an email yesterday, that, the, te- that the pupils are the heroes here because they are, they're, they're, they're acutely aware of what's happening and they're very, very supportive of the measures that you're putting on in schools. That, um, a second level, a primary level, that... that uh, People, they're the ones actually in some ways that police their parents to make sure that they do the right thing. Yeah, and so. they're adhering to those particular rules that are in. But on just on teachers, finally, again, because we just got texting on this, for example, in a, a staff room situation, I mean, would teachers wear a masks among their, their fellow colleagues or would it be a case they would not in staff rooms or indeed if they're speaking outside the school after work? It's just a, we got a few texts yeah. this morning from people who are wondering what is the situation in that? Well, staff rooms, uh, like every school, uh, is a bespoke issue uh, in terms of their own staff room. But uh, the reality is a huge provision has to ha- has been made in schools to make sure that there is uh, that there's only a minimum number of staff ever in the staff room at any particular time. And some places where they've had the capacity have opened a second staff room. Uh, some teachers indeed eat their lunch in cars and so on. You know, so people, it, it's one of the areas that. Uh, People were most concerned about going back. That uh, not so much that uh, I mean, we all heard that children weren't as likely to be carriers as older people. So therefore, you know, in, in a school where you have thirty or forty or fifty people uh, coming into work every day, they're the ones that have to be most guarded around each other. So uh, also uh, things like staff meetings, you know, to, uh, which traditionally might have taken place in a staff room, uh, they are now being held remotely in in the vast majority of cases because. If anything happened that uh, you were in, in close contact with all of your colleagues, it would leave you that the school
school would have to close down possibly because you know uh, uh, the number of people that would be out. It happened in Scotland in in the city of Dundee. There was a school where uh, 26 people went down and 24 of them were staff. You know uh, because of uh, the fact that there were close contacts and they were using a staff room or using using a common room of some sort and that, that for more than 15 minutes that made them uh, that, that 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 left them. At close context, and therefore have to stay out. So that's the there is a huge awareness of the importance of social distancing among staff, and that includes the use of staff rooms. Okay, well, we'll wait and see what happens with the inspectors, and maybe hopefully more support for those principals for the moment. Uh, Damien, thanks for joining us this morning on the show. That is Damien White, there, president of the IPPN, in regards as the Irish Primary Principals Network, in regards to uh, concerns in schools whereby the HSA inspectors are visiting, but many would say they need more support than just inspectors. Uh, your views are welcome on that regarding the situations in our schools. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. But how would you like to work four days a week, and is that feasible? Discussing that next. More than two in three employers are in favour of the government exploring a four-day working week. A group of businesses, trade unions and civil organisations have published a survey which found that almost half of businesses and owners believe that it's feasible. What the coalition is calling on TDs now to commission a report on how it could work without any loss of pay or indeed productivity. And Director of Campaigning with the Forza Trade Union spokesperson Joe O'Connor joins me on this. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, John. And thanks for joining us. I think we spoke earlier to you this year on this particular issue and you were looking into how this would work and looking at reports like this. Uh, Do you welcome what the finding uh, has come out of this particular report and that it could work for many companies? Yeah, I think they're very positive findings. I think, first of all, they show that there's a real appetite amongst Irish people for the idea of a four-day working week um, with over two and three people saying that they think that it's an achievable ambition in the medium term. Um, But additionally, I think it's very positive to see that around half of the employers who responded to our survey feel that this would be feasible in their own workplace setting, which I think is significant and it shows that there's a real openness amongst the employer community to different models and different types of work. And this is in line with some of the really positive results we've seen from companies here in Ireland and internationally who have done this and found that their employees are more motivated, more focused and more productive. And especially these days, more than ever, people do try and balance work and life. And what people have found over the last number of years is that, that they found that hard. They found leaving work, trying to collect their child from school and get home. It wasn't possible for so many and they would rather be there themselves with the child rather than a childminder. So with that situation, it would bring in a more caring role for both parents uh, in a particular day if they had an extra day free. For example, if you worked Monday to Thursday and had the Friday off. So it benefits the flexibility uh, for the employee and also if the employee is going to work extra hours that earlier that week it benefits the employer as well. Well I mean there's huge potential benefits for employees when it comes to health, well-being and also being able to spend more time with their families and to do other things in their lives. And um, there's also a real potential benefit as you said in terms of gender equality where this could enable men to take on more caring responsibilities in the home but also enable women then to to take on more senior leadership positions in work because often, you know, the fact that a lot of the caring responsibilities 
inevitably still fall on women is a real barrier uh, to, to their progress in, in, in many work situations and I think a, a big driver in the, the gender pay gap that we see. But I think that the pandemic has really, you know, th- these results are not surprising in that they're consistent with other international studies and industry studies that we've seen here in Ireland uh, before. Uh, but this is the first publicly representative poll. Um, and I do think that, that the COVID-19 pandemic has, has led to a lot of people, first of all, thinking that something that maybe might have felt like a radical idea is now, you know, in many ways, a reasonable, logical next step for us as a society. But also this idea that, you know, the four-day working week, which is based around the idea that you start to measure employees more about their output and the results they deliver and less about the amount of time they spend in the office or at their desks. And I think the situation we've all been in over the last six months has, has probably made both employees and employers see the logic behind that and how that could work. Now, why some employers are welcoming this and employees, uh, a lot of texts have come in from those who are self-employed and others who say it simply cannot work in our industry. Yes, they could see how offices uh, might be able to facilitate this, but not all industries can. So does it open up a wider debate then for certain sectors who can't work a four day a week, but could introduce some type of flexi time? I think that's exactly right. I mean, this is not a one-size-fits-all approach. I mean, the four-day week is really a conversation starter about the idea of reduced working hours. And if you look at the current model of work that we have, you know, the five-day week, the nine-to-five, it might be the standard work arrangement across the economy, but it's certainly not the only one. And there'll continue to, to need to be different types of flexibility for different employers, for different sectors, and even for different workers where, where this mightn't be, um, mightn't be the model that, that, that they want. But the core argument that we're making is that we've seen over the last couple of decades huge advancements in the productivity of workers and also advancements in technology. But during that period in most advanced Western countries like ours, working hours have stayed largely stagnant. We're working on average around the same every week as we were in the in the early to mid-80s. So what we're saying is, is that when we're now moving into this next, what they call the fourth industrial revolution of increased automation of processes and services, a greater use of, of new digital technologies, we need to find a way to share those benefits with workers. And as, as, it, as it has been throughout history, working time we feel is a really good place to start. And when we mentioned there regarding how it would start, a lot of people are asking, you know, I made an example of people working maybe 10 hours a day, Monday to a Thursday or a 12 hour a day for, for some of those days. And that would make up the time for the hours for the week, which means you will be entitled to a day off. Is that how companies are looking at this or how are they looking at how a person could work four days a week? So what we're talking about is a shorter working week in terms of hours, not just days. And the companies that have done this, like Perpetual Guardian in New Zealand, their model is 100% of the pay, 100% of the productivity, and 80% of the time. And similarly, the ICE group here in in Ireland, uh, their Galway-based firm that have introduced this since early last year, they're doing the four days with a reduced working week compared to, to what it was over five days. So again, you know, Really, we want the focus to be less about making up the time and more about a contract between the employer and the employees to say, if you can deliver the the same results or better that you did over five days, then we're not talking about reductions in pay. We're not talking about kind of, you know, intensified days where people are working 10, 12 or greater hours per day, but that it really is about, you know, 
what the employees produce over the four days. Yeah, and I was reading a report from France where this has been done and they did find that there was less family stress because, again, people felt they could spend time with family or with their loved ones. And because there was less stress on the personal side of life, they got more done in the office. So it actually did benefit the company overall. And given that now the majority are in favour, in the next 10 years here in this country, could you see uh, companies offering a four-day week in the public and private sector? I mean, it's already in a lot of companies in the UK. Given and looking ahead in 10 years in Ireland, could it be a possibility or reality, do you think? I think it's inevitable when you look at the response that we've got from, from employers and their representatives, which is, is very open to this, um, and some of the conversations we've had with companies, that we're going to see much more of this in the very near future, in the next couple of years, I think this is definitely going to become more of a feature across the economy um, and that we certainly believe that the, the ambition of, in the next five to ten years, moving towards a four-day week as the benchmark um, is, is absolutely something that's feasible. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, it is something that a lot of companies seem to be looking at in other countries, such as the UK and indeed France in particular. Uh, Hopefully it does work in Ireland. I mean, it would bring a work-life balance that people are missing and reduce commuting times as well for so many. We'll wait and see what happens. For the moment, Joe, uh, thanks for joining us on this this morning. Thanks very much. Uh, That's Joe O'Connor there. He's the Director of Campaigning with the Forced Trade Union. Would you like to work a four-day week? What's your view on that? Can your sector uh, go that way? Wherever you work, could you see that four days a week would work or would it not work? Uh, Or for many who are texting in saying they're self-employed, they could simply not see that ever happening uh, for their own business. Your views are welcome on that on four day a week and without uh, losing out on money or indeed on a lot of hours. So it wouldn't necessarily mean that you would have to work a very long day Monday through to Thursday and would it really leave people in a situation where they would have less stress to deal with the family side of things or they could make more of their own time when they have a three day weekend rather than a two your views are welcome 1850 333 103 R&D text or WhatsApp 0862103103 on the way after 11 more of your calls and comments on various issues plus We'll be speaking with Nathan Carter, the well-known country and Irish singer, on how the music industry has suffered due to COVID-19 with live gigs cancelled, dance halls closed and a lot more. How are artists coping? And we'd love to hear from those in the local scene as well on how indeed people are coping with the closures and indeed the lack of live gigs. On the issue, first of all, of what we discussed before 11, this was on the four day a week and how people would like and how people would feel about working a four day a week if this was to change. We spoke with Forza, the trade Union who mentioned this earlier on this year. They looked into it. Uh, they said they would perform and, and look into a study. They have done that and out of that study it seems now that employers and employees would favour a four day working week. It can't obviously work for every sector of business but it will work for uh, the majority would see many how who took part in this particular survey but on this uh, there's a uh, mixed views on the four day a week your views are welcome 086 2103 103 on text or whatsapp uh, jury first of all says i feel a four day a week would work and for many it's needed, especially those who commute to our cities. While some knock or laugh at the idea, look at it this way. In the 70s and 80s, we indeed had major employers in our big cities, but we had a lot of local employers in our towns. This meant that people were able to stay in the local area and not commuting as much and could drop off, for example, their child to the nearest school. And if needed, they could pop out and collect their child and then go back to work. So while people were still trying to manage 
everything, it was made easier as everything was nearby. Now, though, at the moment, people are travelling to work. By the time they get home to collect the children from the childminder or wherever, or their, their parents, they finish then with dinner. So they go home, they cook the dinner. By the time that's all done and homework is looked after, it can be eight o'clock in the evening. So I feel a four days a week would be better for family time uh, that at least then one of the days out of the weekend, uh, the parents or whoever would have time to be there for their children and indeed time for themselves to get other things done around the house. Uh, Jerry feels, I feel couples these days are under too much pressure and more than we were in our day, feels Jerry. While Donald says, I am retired, but while every generation faces their challenges, I do feel sorry for those in their 30s and 40s who face High house prices, then they dropped and a lot of their homes are now in negative equity. Uh, Then we had a recession and none of that more negative equity because of that recession that drove everything uh, out of this country, says Donald, by way of people and our young and those who stayed had to pick up the pieces. And then Donald says that now while all those people are still in negative equity, still trying to sort out their own lives and many trying to get back into different roles because they may have lost their jobs out of that recession, they now face a pandemic all in the space of 10 years. So Donald feels to bring on a four day a week. He does feel sorry for those who were working these days, considering he says it was while the pressure was on. He said when I was working, he feels there's more pressure now. And Alison says, yes, I welcome a four day a week. It obviously can't work for every sector. When you look at our schools, it would not be feasible for teachers to do a four day a week but maybe uh, like Joe said there could be flexibility in other areas and companies that can provide four day a week could look then at providing shorter hours a week or uh, areas where people could leave during the day and return back to work in the evening or something like that uh, so if the four day a week wasn't an option that would be uh, feasible for those companies but Alison says the reason now for all the pressure is that there is too much competition in this country. Alison is saying that while we all welcome competition there's too much of it because she's making an example before in a local town you might have had three electrical shops but now those particular shops must compete with massive and big retailers coming from outside of Ireland into Ireland and setting up huge parks and huge businesses in retail parks just outside the cities. This then means that all those in local towns travel to these particular areas get their whatever their TV or whatever for cheaper prices and within that then you have a situation whereby it has a knock-on effect on the local town. Uh, the three electrical shops can no longer compete against each other because they're competing against these massive retailers and then one of those go by the wayside. Uh, there is too much competition and too much big competition coming into this country. That needs to be looked at. All of this is putting uh, the businesses under pressure. It's putting employees under pressure and indeed within offices you have employees uh, working against uh, their fellow colleagues and it's all pressure on the person who was going to work. Uh, many years ago, the pressure wasn't there, but Alison feels that it's got, over the last 10 to 15 years, there's extra pressure on uh, employees who are competing for their jobs, uh, which Alison feels, and that's why they do now need to look at a four-day a week. So the views there from Alison, Donald and Jerry, would you agree with those? Uh, summing up what a lot of people are saying regarding a four-day a week, while well, some knock and laugh at the idea that the working life has changed and there's too much pressure now from workplaces on employees. Let us know. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103 or call Bernie 1850 on a totally different issue then. And this is to do uh, with footpaths in McCroom. 
a texter here saying is it possible that maybe the county council or somebody uh, can clean back footpaths either side of McCroom Town as it's getting very dangerous to walk there now I don't know what you mean by cleaning back the footpaths uh, what's on the footpaths that need cleaning back I, I don't know what exactly is on the footpaths that they need clean back um, you might let us know like what is on it because I know they have a fantastic tidy tongue group there in, in McCroom who do great work and have done over the last number of years so you might clarify what you mean by cleaning back what on the footpath uh, but outside of that an issue that has come up before on the show and this is the parking of, of cars at the Gira uh, and this is the Gira walk on the Inchigila Road there's a car park there but people this person feels are parking too far out from the curb, and someone will crash into them as they're turning in and out of there. So, is that a problem? Have you noticed that while you're traveling from McCroom uh, towards Inchigila, that a very popular walk there at the Gira, is that causing problems? Uh, is it something that car, there's too many cars parked first of all on the side of the road when that car park is full or that people are parking too far out from the curb and this particular texter is worried that someone will crash into them while they're turning in and out anyhow your views are welcome on that you can text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 and uh, staying with the sporting topic we had yesterday people asking about sporting topics and about sporting capacities at stadiums and asking why clubs are only getting uh, so many tickets for games that are up and coming for their local club in the next number of weeks the texter here is saying what is the story with tickets for GAA matches they said 200 tickets for a GAA match for our clubs but our club is playing two county semi-finals and our particular club has only received 25 tickets for their dedicated supporters that's a far cry from 200 it's crazy stuff says that particular texter we're going to check in with our GAA reporter Femme McCarthy on that uh, from the government side of things they are saying that up to 100 patrons or spectators are, are allowed outdoors and 50 uh, patrons or spectators are allowed indoors and you can have up to 200 then for outdoor stadiums or another uh, for for example fixed door outdoor venues they can have a minimum of 5,000 but on those matches you speak about and it depends where they've been played I suppose first of all it depends on the capacity of the stadium as well we'll check in with our GA reporter Femmer McCarthy on that and see what is the, the, the exact meaning I know we're checking in as well uh, with Cork County Board but it did come up in the show yesterday people were agreeing with a particular person uh, who WhatsApp into us because he was making the point that while his club is involved in the county championship there's now many who have a son or a cousin or a brother playing in the particular game and they will not be able to go and see that particular game so your views welcome on that and we'll get clarification on that matter 1850 but the music industry that has suffered so much over the last number of months at the first to close and it seems that last now to reopen we're going to chat with country and Irish singer Nathan Carter about that shortly on the programme I know we've heard from local artists in the Cork area many who just do it for the love of music who just go along to a bar on a Thursday or Friday evening will play a few tunes with their friends or part of a group it entertains those at the bar but that is no more at the moment many asking when will that return but for those who depend on the industry for a living uh, where do they go from here especially when we see changes today uh, to the COVID payments so your views welcome on that we'll chat with Nathan Carter next C103 Jobs and on today's job spot a stores person is wanted for an immediate start in McCroom forklift driver is required send your CVs you can email those and a cover letter to Ted Kelleher first aid and hygiene.ie and a hairdresser 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. is required for Fridays and Saturdays in the Blarney area. Call or text 086-063-7709 and the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow are looking to recruit a receptionist assistant and somebody for a reservation as well. Experience is essential. You can email your CVs to kieranodriscoll.hibernianhotel at gmail.com and that's C103jobs. You'll get more now online. Just go to c103.ie forward slash job. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 103 And just going back to the GAA issue for a moment, we've got a number of calls on this, as I mentioned it there a few minutes ago, and text as well. And the text we had yesterday was from a person whose club is with is involved in the county championship in the next few weeks, and they were only getting a number of tickets, and they felt that their brothers who are playing in the game, or their cousins, or their, their sons, that they can't actually go and see them because of the lack of tickets. Also, another text that is asking, what is the story with GA matches? They said 200 tickets for a GA match. Our club is playing in two county semi-finals, and our club has only 25 tickets for their dedicated supporters. It's a far cry from 200. Many are saying it's crazy stuff. What is going on? Well, the man in the know is our GA reporter, Finbar McCarthy. Finbar, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, GAP. <laughs> okay. Uh, Finbar, That's I know... You're all right. It's the second time you've done it, but you 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 learn the next time. <laughs> we, yeah. We we all we have something lucky. that we uh, it's a, come, came up in the show yesterday, and basically, I know you're yeah. taking our call now here at the last minute because we've got so many calls on this. Uh, but what is the situation here when yeah. you have a stadium or some place that many feel that they could or felt they could get 200 tickets for a particular game, but now they're being offered 25? Well, what is the reason behind this? Yeah, I I should explain. Um, the capacity, the, the, it's based on the capacity, the, the capacity of the stadium. If the stadium that you're playing, or the venue, we'll say, rather than stadium, if the venue that you're playing in can accommodate 5,000 people or more, you get 200 tickets. Anything less than 5,000, you get 100 tickets. And the way it's divided in, JP, is 100 tickets, that's 50 per club. But of the 50... 25 of those go to the season ticket holders. Did you follow? Okay, so that's why the... Okay, that, that, that's that makes sense. Need, yeah. yeah, that makes you see. So, like, just take, for instance, Symphonbars and Newstone are playing in Parky Heave on Sunday. The 200 then, up to now, the 200 at a match included the players, the officials, the media, the the stewards, the whole lot. No, it's different. The 200 is 200 supporters. The players, the officials, the match officials, the stewards at the ground and the media are excluded. So that's 200 tickets equally divided between the bars and Newstone. And what in the situation then with these people texting in saying they're only getting 25 tickets? Yeah, that's the thing then, you see. Because, Because people purchase season tickets at the start of the year... In the, in the expectation that they'd have free, they'd have, 
the, the season tickets will get them into games that are in the Cock County Board. They're now, they're, that has changed because of the situation. They're allowing 25 people from each club to, to purchase the season tickets, you know? Mm. So that's why, like, we'll take, for instance, uh, we'll just pick some match. There's a match in Ballyanley Sunday, I think, St. Michael's, and I think it's their oak. That, that venue cannot, hasn't the capacity to take 5,000 people. So that's why this it's reduced to 100. Do you follow? I do, yeah, I get that. Uh, but for so, those who, who are arguing the fact that they're only getting a limited amount of tickets, yeah. if, if there is a venue, for example, if the match is being played in Parky Cueve and they are getting 200 yes. tickets, then they're, they're still questioning why uh, they're getting 25 of those. But you're saying it's due to no, the it's, season. It's 50 then. In Parky Cueve and Parky Ring JP, it's 50. It's 50. And the, the other 50 then are allocated to people that have purchased season tickets or premium level tickets in the case of Parky Keith. So if their match has been played in Parky Cueve or in Parky Ring, there should be 50 for the club and if it's in smaller venues, 25. There, are. That's there we are. That's so that's where. That's so must be people. So who are whose games are in smaller venues. That, that's where they get the twenty five yeah. tickets. So okay. Well, that's the confusion yeah. cleared up there. So Finbar with that one. Yeah, and I, I, I would I would think no JP from now on when you get to semi finals and finals. Um, we're we're nearly at that stage. Now we are in fact at the intermediate hurling premier intermediate hurling semi finals run tomorrow. The, I I think from from semi final stage on, the board will endeavour to play all the games in Parky Arena and Parky Keeve to allow for the 200 and give people a bit more access to the tickets and availability. OK, so hopefully that clears up that particular issue. Finbar, thanks for clarifying that for us this morning. No problem, JP. Thank, Thank you. you. That is our GA reporter, Finbar McCarthy. And thanks to him for joining us uh, at last minute there. Uh, just to clarify that particular issue, we've got so many calls. Hopefully that does clarify that for you. It does depend where your game is on. But according to Finbar, hopefully a lot of those semi-finals will be played in Parky Cueve and indeed in Parky Ring. So hopefully that clarifies that particular matter. Now, we're also getting calls about when dance halls and more will reopen. Now, we know there's no mention of nightclubs or indeed dance halls in any of these levels we've heard about from the government. Uh, But people are asking, can live music make a comeback? Well, we know it's affecting many local musicians here. Smaller gigs are not going on in pubs. Weekly sessions are not going on in bars. But a lot of our uh, big country and Irish singers are also feeling the impact. And one of those is Nathan Carter, who joins me on the line. Good morning to you, Nathan. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. And thanks for joining us. I mean, this is something that we keep getting calls on here over the last number of weeks, especially when restrictions were somewhat easing in various parts of the country and people are missing the live gigs, they're missing the dance halls, but it is having an impact, apart from the people that go along to these particular gigs, it is having an impact on the industry as a whole and on yourself. Uh, definitely, yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of people involved in the industry, not just singers. Um, I mean, there's actors, there's uh, dancers, there is uh, sound men, lighting men, crew, truck drivers, ticket sellers, uh, the venues themselves, uh, promoters. The list is endless. Uh, and a lot of other sectors obviously benefit from, obviously the hospitality sector benefits hugely from live gigs uh, between uh, restaurants and bars and hotels and, and taxi drivers and so forth. So there's a lot of people at the minute uh, that are currently out of work and um, within the industry. That um, we, we kind of did an interview on RTE there yesterday, myself and, um, or the day before, sorry, myself and Lisa McHugh and Mike Denver, just to um, raise the fact really that there's, there's a lot of people at the minute that uh, were first to lose their jobs in the industry, uh, the entertainment industry, and will be the very last people to get back to 
to any sort of normality because uh, by the look of it, there's no gigs uh, or, or um, dances or festivals going to be happening anytime soon, unfortunately. Yeah, and while those gigs were cancelled, obviously there was refunds and they were given back to those who purchased. So no money was made for the actual industry itself. But were you guys, were you able to avail of the COVID payments over the last while, along with those who work with you, such as the, the sound crew, the, the truck drivers who bring the gear around, the person who uh, constructs the rigs? Did they work? entitled to that I presume over the last while but that changes this week of course It does yeah a lot of um, the guys that work with me uh, are based in the south of Ireland and some of them are based in the north of Ireland so they're all on different um, different payments but um, a lot of the guys that work with me didn't apply for the 350 a week um, so they were stuck uh, having to get um, another type of job or to do find another way of, of getting income um, so there's a lot of people that uh, jobs are at, actually at risk because if, if they leave the industry, um, you know, if you've, if you've studied for years to become a sound engineer, for example, if you have to leave the industry to go and do something else, if they don't come back, um, there's not a, a, a whole list of sound men or, or lighting engineers that are waiting to fill their shoes. So the industry could actually be in a lot of trouble um, if those guys do end up leaving. You know, the, I mean, the, the festivals can't happen, theatre shows can't happen plays, um, you know, dance halls, uh, theatres, you name it. They they, they, they need a lot of um, people who, with a lot of knowledge in the background to make them shows happen, basically, you know. So hopefully the government will step up and try and help people in the industry uh, and save their jobs, um, basically, for when, when the time comes when they can get back to work. Because realistically, they just cannot work at the minute, even though a lot of them do want to. Um, there's no job for them there at the minute. And you mentioned there some didn't apply for the COVID payment. Why that? I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, I'm I'm based in the north of Ireland. Uh, I didn't um, I didn't actually get a, a single penny uh, because I was a director of a company, so we were not entitled to anything. But uh, I'm I'm not sure, to be honest, of the the reasons why in the south. But I just know some of the the band that worked with me, they they got the payment. Some of them got it for a time being, and then it was lowered to a two hundred and something. Um, when I was chatting to the lads, that's what that had been the case. So, I mean, in my opinion, if if you can't work. But if you want to work, but you've no job to go to at the minute, you should still be on that three fifty that it was when it started. You know, whenever the the COVID payments started, um, I think that would be the fairest option to be honest for for all sectors. I mean, if you if you're trying to go out and do a job, but it's not able because of the situation at the minute, it's not your fault. You know, um, that you you can't work. Yeah, and for many now, I presume you they're around the two hundred and three euros. I think that's what it's gone to now uh, for many in your situation. But outside of the payment, I suppose, is there an issue then for the likes of mortgages and loans? They need to be paid back. That uh, that is affecting many uh, who maybe have a mortgage. Uh, they still have to pay it back. And while some banks have worked with that, you'd wonder how long more they can uh, work with those when there's no gigs. Yeah, I mean, there's a company called the MEAI who are um, representing the entertainment industry and they're trying to go to government with different ideas. And that was definitely one of the other ideas was to help, obviously, try and get the, the entertainers and people involved with the industry back to the 350 because they can't work, but also to get the loans and bank uh, mortgages and so forth um, suspended longer so until they... The, the day comes when they can go to work and earn money again that um, they're not forced to be um, making huge payments on a house or a car or so forth you know so that that was another another thing that they were they were asking for uh, for help with uh, 
once again just another thing in the entertainment industry that uh, uh, hasn't uh, come come to play just yet. But hopefully, people will sit up and listen and, and uh, help out. Yeah, and I know at the start for many in the industry because you do work hard a lot of it at seven days a week and you're travelling from one venue in the country to another venue and that could be a number of miles away but it was a break at the start people were welcoming the two week, three week, four week break but that has changed now because the four or five week break has gone into a number of months and and as an industry as a whole I know you're all worried about the future of gigs and and the money side of it but there must be a mental aspect Nathan to this as well I mean there's a buzz in performing live on a stage in front of uh, thousands of people it's like a bulk I suppose it must have an impact to all you guys mentally as well it does you know to go from uh, performing on a stage and I call it the drugs you know of, of performing in front of people it's definitely addictive and uh, you get a huge sense of um, you know pride and achievement when you go out on a stage and when you get a, a certain reaction from a crowd um, and to go from doing that four or five nights a week and, and experience that high to to do nothing for six or seven months is definitely a it's a bit of a a big change of scenery and and definitely plays um, a big part in in how you're feeling day to day. Um, so I've I've no doubt that people in the industry will will de- will have definitely had um, a lot of you know days where they just didn't know what was going on over the last six months. I know I have in particular. Just uh, you know you wonder what the what you're doing and uh, what's the point in getting up in the morning sometimes. So. Um, it's 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 it can be a bit depressing, you know. But um, we we've got to concentrate on the future and and hope that, um, for example, Christy Moore is doing a a live stream show his first ever this week, um, from Dublin, and people can buy tickets online to see Christy in concerts. And I've kind of followed that model, and uh, we're going to be doing one in three weeks' time on the on four weeks' time, the seventeenth of October. We're doing a live stream show from. Crumlin Road Jail in Belfast. Uh, my first time ever performing in a jail. Uh, but um, and people can buy tickets from all over Ireland, UK, Australia, America, and uh, that's given me something to kind of focus on. And um, the tickets are only fifteen pounds, and you can watch it from obviously your living room or your office or your bedroom or wherever you can get internet signal. So that's that's a new step that I think we're going to all have to adapt to in the in, in the industry uh, and try and create new avenues of. of performing and to get musicians back working and crew and and so forth and things like that we we need to try and uh, make the most of as we can't you know gig live right now yeah. so. are you hoping that that will take off for for you the online side of things because many are trying that at the moment we, we yeah there is many trying it and um i mean i i'd be the first one to agree that it's not going to be the same buzz as uh, sitting at a live gig it can't be but at least um, for anybody that wants to watch a little bit of entertainment and they, they're fed up watching Netflix maybe or the TV <laughs> and they want to see a bit of live music, at least it gives them a, a, an opportunity to do so. Um, but uh, we shall see. I mean, hopefully tickets went on sale this morning for our show and I know Christie's is selling very well for the weekend. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, that that it is uh, something that might work in, in the in the, in the the immediate uh, future. You know, obviously I'm, I'm desperate for gigs to get back up and going again, but... Uh, as we can't, maybe this is a, an avenue that we all need to look out for the next couple of months. And if people want those tickets, what's the best site to get them from? Uh, there's a company called Dice.fm uh, or they can go to my website, which is NathanCarterMusic.com uh, and all the info is, is there for the shows. 
And while for yourselves and as you mentioned there, Lisa McHugh and Mike Denver and, and what is known, I suppose, for yourself, Nathan, would be the bigger artists in this country. You'll understand the local scene then whereby you have singers maybe here, for example, in the Cork area who would just perform in local bars and local arenas. They're also missing out and they're not getting paid for that. And then you have a different level whereby people just do it for the love of having a session on a Thursday or Friday evening in a local bar in their local town. Yeah. And that's gone. And for those that go and watch them, they're missing that. So there's a, a mental aspect there, which we spoke about, but also on a different level, there's people who are losing out locally money-wise because of that. So uh, why is having a knock-on effect on the in- industry as a whole nationally on a local level? I'm sure you can understand and feel for those locally who are operating on a smaller scale than you were. No, without a doubt. I mean, I, I started out uh, 12 years ago playing all the pubs as a one-man band, you know, and uh, uh, it, it stretches right through to to you know the the big acts like you two who and all the huge stadium arena acts you know we're all in the same boat unfortunately uh, I mean I would like to think once the pubs do reopen that they they would be allowed a one man or a, a, a duo to come in and entertain uh, you know I know there can't be any dancing but that doesn't mean there can't be music. Um, so I, I would like to think that if anybody is going to have a chance at doing some live music, it's the solo acts and the, and the duos around the country that can perform in the bars or the the pubs that that uh, continue to have live music at the minute. So yeah, I mean, please God, I, I'm, I'm hoping for everybody that's involved in the whole industry that um, we can find a way out of this mess and um, we keep keep praying for everyone. And while people are looking ahead to what they can do, and we mentioned online there, you are working on music still and you're going to record soon. I mean, is that costing money then for many artists who do need to go back into a recording studio? They need to look at the financial aspect first before they decide on going and producing a new single or indeed album. They do. I mean, recording studios uh, can cost anywhere between 300 to to £1,000 a day to go and record, you know, so... Um, I, I was lucky enough that I'd, I'd saved a little bit of money in a pot from from merchandise previously that I can use that against recording. So, um, so I actually recorded a new single there um, about a month ago now called Sarah Jane, a newly written song. We did a video on Grafton Street for it as well, which was the most bizarre thing ever because we were trying to get people walking past, but obviously they had masks on, so we were thinking we can't really date the video with with everybody walking around with masks on. So um, we had to try and find ways around that. But um, but no, I mean the recording industry has definitely suffered as well as a as a result. But people can still record at the minute, which is a good thing. Um, and uh, you know, I, I do know that different artists around the country are currently in the recording studio and and hoping to release new music. Uh, personally, I'm going to try and get an album out before the end of the year, um, and that's that's a, a plan of mine because at least I can focus on on recording and writing and uh, getting some new music uh, for people to listen to at home. Yeah, and again, I suppose for many, it's a, a revenue stream. It will bring in money once the album or the single goes online or it goes on the actual physical sale in a shop. At least it will bring some sure. money stream in, into the industry as well. And that's what you need to keep the whole thing going. Uh, Nathan, for the moment, best of luck to you and all the, the guys and the crews there that work in all the various country and Irish uh, clubs and indeed organisations across the country. We, we won't know what's going to happen over the next uh, few months. It's a, an ever-changing story, but we wish you the best of luck anyway. Thank you so much and listen, have a great day. And same to you and uh, best of luck with, also with the gig and before I go there's a number of people have just texted in on WhatsApp saying, uh, saying hello to you. First of all, uh, Theresa Collins is in Wheeling. She says, can you please ask Nathan Carter is he going to be playing in Killarney in December? 
I don't know if you can answer that or not, um, Nathan. Well, we are actually in talks with the venue at the minute. They're applying, I think, for some government funding. So, please, God, uh, the date is not cancelled. And if we can find a way of playing it, we definitely will. So. Okay, and Theresa says you're a fantastic person and keep the head up. You're a, she's a big fan of yours, is Theresa in Wheeling. And ah, also, you. can you say hello to Lisa Sheehan in Mallow? She had tickets for the marquee gig. Obviously, that was cancelled this year, but she is uh, going yeah. to go along next year, hopefully, instead. And she's going to hold on to the tickets and she loves Nathan. So a big hello to Lisa as well. Thank you very much, Lisa. And I hope you're staying safe. Very good. Nathan, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule this morning to chat with us and uh, hopefully things will uh, improve anyhow for your industry as you say the last, the first to close and, and the last to open so we'll see what happens for the moment. Thanks for joining us. Nathan Carter. Thanks a lot. Take care. Take care Nathan. Uh, your views are welcome on that. Are you on a more local uh, scene here at Cork affected by that as well and you can relate to what Nathan is saying 1850 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862 Good afternoon to you a beautiful afternoon right across Cork City and County and we did speak with Katie Holly just before 12 o'clock there on Culture Night for Cork County when we mentioned one event that has taken place in Donrill that is the Heart Remembers it's another COVID-19 influenced event for Cork County Culture tonight and Margaret O'Rourke joins me from that particular project in Donnerill this afternoon. Afternoon to you Margaret. Good morning or good evening John Paul. Good afternoon. Uh, how are you? I'm coming and going. <laughs> well you've been busy for the last week with everything organising uh, these events for Culture Night so that's understandable but just yeah. tell us first about this particular event. Well the Heart Remembers is an uh, initiative by uh, Donnerill Push for Charity Organisation and we felt going back, say, to April, uh, March, April, when the lockdown came, and when we were getting numbers, you know, high numbers of deaths every day, um, we kind of really felt a responsibility that we were, people were going missing out of out of communities around the country, and, you know, the following week when numbers would come up, the last week's ones were kind of forgotten, and we, we kept saying, oh, we should do something, or, you know, can we do something? And we always organised... Um, like the Remembrance Tree, and we were, for Christmas, we were going uh, forward that much. But then we said, no, it, it's happening too fast. And um, Marie Kylie and myself, we were chatting one day on the phone because everything was done by phone with lockdown and everything on WhatsApp. And um, we came up with the, like, not to reinvent the wheel, is to stay, stick with the heart. So I went uh, online and I went looking for passions for little hearts and I made some and we... we said we'd go with that but we didn't weren't sure how we were going to do it but we we persevered with it so my first outing after lockdown was into Kitbone shop in Mallow to get the um, wool and the colours that Marie had picked out in the pattern and so on and we started from there and we haven't stopped since to be honest because it's been it's been an emotional roller coaster, like with up to Wednesday uh, we've had 1,790 hearts uh, made and we have them placed on a board. Um, Marie's daughter Mary decided on this this way of of placing them, like which it makes a kind of a three D effect, and it's um, it's a story. It tells a story, like when you look at it, it tells a story. And we saw it come into life. It really has taken on a life of its own over the last, I'd say, the last six weeks. It has taken on a life of its own. So we're like we're very proud at the moment that we're. Uh, we have it finished, but we're petrified <laughs> about tonight, just because we'll be unveiling it for the first time to everybody else. 
I know, but a lot of work has got in, Margaret. I mean, you mentioned a few people there. How many in total were involved in creating these hearts? Well, I made all the hearts myself simply because they all needed to be exactly the same. So just one person created the actual hearts? Yes. That's you? Yes. A lot of work in that. Yes, but, you know, we, we were, like, we were saying we were going to, like, if we, if you got, you know, all the people's knitting or crocheting is different, yeah. you might get one bigger. So we wanted them, every one of them had to be exactly the same. So I took on that task and then when I had them, it was really when you had them all lined up and we, I started making them in batches of 50 and when, when we had them all fixed in, you know, in, in a box, um, in the different boxes and different colours, that you actually realised just how many, because each one represented a person. And tell me again, when you actually started? Well, we started in, we, we start, I started making hearts in April, but these, they, the ones in April were only for, um, they were really, um, you know, a prototype to see how we were going to put it together, because we weren't sure, like, how this was going to grow. Yeah, and then when you made 50 together, how long would that have taken you? Well, each heart takes about uh, 15 minutes. So all in all, like we were, we were working out the other night, we've, there's well over 450 hours gone into this from start to finish. Now, that would be over, like obviously over, over time, you know. Um, but like there was an awful lot of work gone into it, an awful lot of time invested in it. But we felt that every minute we were investing in it was worth it for what we have produced and why we have produced it if you know what I mean. Yeah, and obviously it's to remember people who have passed away yes. from COVID-19 yes. and to do so in a dignified manner. Yes. And you're attaching the hearts then to a particular display display piece. I presume that's going yes. to be it, on it, display in the church. It will be on display in the church. Now, I haven't actually, John Paul, I actually haven't seen the the completed project because it's, it's, it's undercover. I haven't actually seen, I have seen it up to when the last, uh, or the last, uh, 10 hearts were placed there was more went on since but I actually haven't seen the, the completed thing because it is um, under lock and key um, because we had to get, we got a frame made for Mike Kylie made a frame because we kept everything uh, as uh, you know as organic as possible so everything is is handmade everything is hand finished and everything is um, you know will be will be ours at the end of it you know so when we put it into, like, say, when we when we applied to um, Culture Night uh, through Cork County Council to, you know, put it on for, the, for tonight, we really did have no idea how we were going to do it, but we knew we were going to do something, you know. And they had been a great help to us, like, uh, Cork County Council were in touch with all the changes and, you know, the how many people you could have and, and so on, like, and that was changing every day, like, so, but we still kept focused on tonight and, and what we were doing, and it has come to fruition eventually. And the hearts will be on display in the Church of the Nativity the thing, in Donnerell. It's a whole picture, it's a whole, it's, it's one big picture, um, you know, like, it's uh, one big representation of everybody, and it brings you, it brings it to mind exactly how many people have died when you see the whole thing put together. And yeah. uh, at what time are you going to unveil this? We are we are we are starting at six o'clock on the dot. We have a little program put together of uh, song and, songs and poetry um, and music in you know to in the build up to it. Um, so we we will be unveiling it I'd say around quarter past six. And regarding people going then and visiting well, the church, what's the situation well, there? The, the church is set up for social distancing, as you know. Um, so we're we're not. Um, 
we're not worried about that because everything is set up in um, two meters apart. We have a COVID-19 officer who is, happens to be my granddaughter, Shannon, who, who is au fait with all this. And it is a family, it is a family thing because there are, there are three generations of my family, myself, my daughter, my granddaughter involved, and three generations of Marie's family, which is herself, her daughter and her grandson. And then we have Mike Kylie in the background to uh, do all the things we want him to do. Excellent. So it's a family affair, Margaret. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, well, it, it, all, it has been since we set up this organisation. It has been uh, anything we do, like, is, is you know, it, it's small, but it's, we do throughout the year, we do different acts of kindness, you know, and, and stuff. So it's, it is a family affair, yeah. And if people then outside of the area can't get there, will you have pictures online later on as well? And maybe we can share some of those pictures. John Paul will be live streaming at six o'clock. And from, is that on the Cork Count? Is that on we'll, the we'll website? Be, no, we'll be we'll be live streaming from the Parish of Donwell Facebook page. Excellent. So people can check it out on that. Yes, it will be it will be going live. I think around ten to six. Thanks to Gareth Road, who who has been a great help to us because uh, during lockdown I got to know Gareth very well. You know, from the church when mm-hmm. the church was locked down. So he's live streaming it through his laptop, so it will be available for anyone who can't go. There are, I, we are very aware that there are a lot of people who would want to go and who are not going to the church at the moment, who are not going anywhere at the moment. So we felt that we we needed to, you know, to bring it to them as well. We wanted to bring it to everybody, as uh, you know, to just to make it a night of, I suppose, a night of remembrance, but also a night of, of a small bit of healing, you know. If yeah, of course. Yeah, and everything going on. Yeah. It will be helpful to so many people. Margaret, well done. It's a great achievement for what you've done there over the last number of months. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, the final display tonight there in the church in Donnell. Again, uh, for those who wish to, if you can go along, obviously social distancing and all of that yes. with in mind. But again, it's in the Church of the Nativity in Donnell uh, from six o'clock is when that will be starting off there. Also online on their parish Facebook page. And you'll get more details of everything about Culture Night on Culture Night. CorkCounty.ie Margaret well done and best of luck later on tonight Thanks John Paul Take care uh, That's Margaret O'Rourke there uh, who came up and uh, has put together that fantastic idea uh, which will be on display tonight all part of Cork Culture Night for Cork County with ourselves here at C103 and while that was in connection with Covid a jury was in touch jury was watching primetime last night in RTE and he says he was watching the interview with Mike Ryan of the World Health Organisation And he says, Mike said, everybody needs to be their own risk manager in this situation. It's not up to everyone else. It's up to you, to me. It's not the government. It's not them. It's you that can make or break things here. And Jerry says, I agree with him. If I am driving my car and see a situation ahead of me, I will slow down. And similar, if I feel there is too many people at one place, for example, if I'm going to a shop and I feel the shop is too busy, then I do not go in or I just simply leave. It's very simple. We do not, and we do this, uh, Jerry says, every day we have done this before COVID, taking responsibility and taking responsibility for our actions. So I can't deal with people now who are not doing so when it comes to simple measures being imposed for COVID-19. Jerry says, why can't people deal with this now? Why do we need to be told 
again uh, the jury goes on to say that people give out about these restrictions but a lot of it is down to personal responsibility and jury feels COVID has highlighted how stupid the human race really is and it's quite sad says jury on email to JP at c103.ie reacting to what he saw last night on primetime in connection with COVID and from COVID we're going to hear about fire training because the Cork City Fire Service they are recruiting at the moment and our own senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran took part in that particular training for their recruitment we'll hear how she got on shortly and also we're going to the movies with Mark reviewing this week Bill and Ted Face the Music the pair are back and we'll hear about that after 12.30 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie and abandoned litter pickup for World Clean Day that is taking place tomorrow starting at 10am from the Kimco Chemist near Kevin O'Leary's on the new road in Bandon and you can also bring if you can bring your own high-vis vest they ask for that but also equipment will be provided uh, tomorrow for abandoned litter pickup again meeting uh, near Kevin O'Leary's on the new road in Bandon tomorrow morning and on Sunday the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland are asking you to make every step count and register for its very first Alzheimer's Memory Walk. You can register for Let's Walk Together for Dementia at memorywalk.ie and start planning your route. A New Market Penny Dinners collection has been held in New Market GAA grounds. That's on this coming Sunday between 10am and 1pm. Items acceptable are cash, perishable goods and home baking and you're asked to please support there in New Market for Penny Dinners. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 Cork City Fire Brigade they are recruiting for 20 full-time firefighters and our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran participated in the training programme at Ballyvalan Fire Station yesterday and she joins me on this Good afternoon to you Fiona Good afternoon JP Okay first of all the training I saw the videos that we have online I mean it looks intense It was intense (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah we had to climb a 13.5 metre high ladder um, which in itself is okay, uh, but you know you've got all that gear on and it's so so heavy and you know the the weight of the the helmet and and the jacket and and the boots are so chunky. Um, so climb that ladder first of all, and then we had to go through a dark smoky room that was pitch dark smoky room and find various different objects, make our way around the room, and then we had to go into quite a, a low down narrow tunnel. Um, crawl through that with a canister of gas on our back um, and, a, and a mask on our face and there was the sound of a baby crying in the tunnel we had to try and locate that baby and bring it to safety um, and then after that we had to uh, run for 25 metres carrying a fireman's hose and then we had to run with uh, various different things like um we had two suitcases that were filled with hope with uh, foam and they were both 25 kg each. So we had to run with them and uh, drag a 50 kg mannequin um, across the yard as well. So, you know, all of those things in themselves would have been difficult enough. But uh, when you're wearing all of the gear as well, and it just really, I suppose, brought it home to me, the, the difficult challenges that the firefighters have on a daily basis. And, you know, yesterday it was, quite a hot day so it was very very hot in that uniform but like when they're going into a burning building and I can't even imagine what that heat must be like for them and they were telling me yesterday that it's really important for them when they're responding to a call that they 
hydrate themselves um, a lot on the way so that, you know, they're, they're going to obviously sweat a lot um, on, the, on the job. So they have to make sure that they're very hydrated before they get there. So the training, it's, um, you know, for anybody who is called forward for the training, it's a 14-week program. And it's, uh, you know, five days and it is tough. But, you know, I was kind of joking saying yesterday that I don't think I'd have made a very good firefighter. But they were saying that as the weeks go on, you build up your, your mental or your physical strength. And, you know, the tasks don't become as difficult anymore. And, you know, the mental uh, strength of somebody really comes to play as well. Um, you know, the Cork City Fire Brigade have one fire officer, Irene Wallace. And they're they're really keen, JP, to get more women in. But I was asking her, you know, if, if you were in a building and you had to drag a heavier man out of that building, you know, how difficult would that be? And she said that when you're in a situation like that where you're, you know, you've got somebody's life in your hands, that your mental strength really comes to play and that kind of takes over. And, you know, she said you'd be really, really surprised at what the body is able to do. Yeah, when it's under pressure, people look back and they realise, how did I do that? If you were told to do it, you wouldn't be able to, but your mind takes over and the strength comes from somewhere. We hear that in cases of rescue over the years, certainly. It sounds very physical for you. And I mean, you mentioned there about carrying certain certain things and 25 kg and 50 kg. I mean, it's, it's like a workout in a gym, but you're, you're, you're wearing all that gear. And as you say, I know you strengthen up over time. Uh, but initially, uh, for someone who is g- thinking of going into the fire service, I mean, do they prepare you for the fitness levels? I mean, how how is all that approach taken? Well, I suppose um, like the, the application process is, um, you know, you have to fill out a form, send that in, and then obviously there would be an interview, um, and fitness will come into it. <clears throat> but <clears throat> it's not the only thing. I mean, like I I did I did complete the task yesterday. And I wouldn't be the, the fittest person or the strongest person out there. It's like a relative level of strength and fitness. And I was able to do it. And, you know, I was wrecked at the end of it. Yeah. But, but you managed manage it all. Get through it. Yeah. One um, thing you mentioned there, though, was when you were in that tunnel and the sound of a baby crying. I mean, first of all, had they had they a, a baby daughter or something hidden in the tunnel? Yeah. And was the, t- the tunnel actually pitch dark? Yeah, um, it was. What was and, that feeling uh, like? Because you have kids yourself, so you you know the reality of if anything happens to them or they run away, you're, you're certainly panicking until you find them again. In that situation, what, I mean, what was going through your mind it really highlights what they go through on a daily basis? It does. And, you know, I had no idea how long the tunnel was. I had no idea where it was bringing me to. I could just hear this sound in the distance and I had to kind of keep crawling towards that sound. And as you said, I have two children of my own. And I was just picturing if we were in that situation, if you were in, God forbid, if the house ever went on fire and, you know, they were trapped inside, it must be horrendous for somebody to be in that position where they're going, they don't know where the child is or the person even, um, but they, you know, they're on this mission to to get to that person and, and get them to safety. Um, and you can't see in front of you. It's, it's quite disorientating. And it, it, it was very intense. I found that actually probably the hardest bit of the, the training. Um, and they said to me that, you know, I was asking them about the suitability of candidates. And, you know, if you're in any way claustrophobic, that just wouldn't be for you at all. Um, like they did tell me a story about a man who was doing the training. And when he got to the tunnel, like he just couldn't go in. And, 
he couldn't do it. And I said, well, if you can't go into that tunnel and, and do this task, then you're not going to be able to be a firefighter because that's the reality of the situation. Okay, they're not in tunnels, but they're in, you know, dark rooms. Yeah, and you can't see anything around you. It's like, all full of smoke. Yeah, so, you know, he wasn't able to, to finish it. But um, so if you're in any way claustrophobic, it's it's not really suitable. And likewise, if you've got a fear of heights, you're not going to climb up the ladders that they need to, to climb up and okay with the one that we had yesterday was 13.5 meters but they have higher ones as well um and then there's the strength and then there's um there's mental challenges as well and um, we had to try and locate five different objects in that dark smoky room and then when we came out we had to recall what we had found um you know and that was only kind of yeah, so you're locating things that you can't see. You're trying to find out where they are. And I think, that, as you say, the baby one sounds really intense. I mean, were you all able to, I know there's a group of journalists there, were you all able to locate that baby? Yeah, yeah, um, we were. And, um, like, it's quite difficult as well. And, like, it really kind of made me aware of the the um, skills that they have in communicating with each other. Because when I was going through that tunnel, like, you could hear the baby crying and I knew that there was a fireman shouting at me and giving me instructions but you could also like I could really hear my own breathing as well because I had a breathing apparatus on my face um, so if anybody has ever gone scoop diving it's that kind of a sound mm. and then you know as you're obviously you know panicking <laughs> and uh, you know uh, I could hear my breath getting um, quicker and uh, louder so you've all that going on as well um, so you know like I was kind of saying to them like communication must be such a big thing for them and you know, they were saying that uh, like some of them have worked together for over 30 years. So at this stage, they probably know what the other person is thinking. But being a really good communicator is, is part of it as well. Like there's so many different skills that they have. Um, it's just it's unbelievable. And it's not even, you know, they're not even going just to to fires. They, they, they do river rescues. They do floods. They do, uh, they go to car crashes. So there's all of that going on as well. And Victor Shine, the second fire officer, um, he did an interview with us yesterday and he was saying that you know they're really, really keen to get female firefighters. As I mentioned there a while ago, they've only got one female firefighter on the force and they, they want to increase that number. And he was saying to me that, you know, women will obviously bring a different skill to the job. Um, and a lot of the time they may have a softer approach when they're dealing with, you know, people with victims and, and with children in particular. So, you know, it is, um, you know, it's, I, I think like young women shouldn't be put off the job if they think that it's all just about physical strength and um, you know if they feel that it might be too much for them like there's so many different skills there that you can bring to the role and you can build yeah. up your, your and they also and, need a lot of trust you need trust in your colleagues as well if you find yeah. yourselves in those particular situations how can people apply Fiona we're going to play a report shortly and hear more about what happened yesterday but yeah. if people want to apply how do they get to uh, get application forms or where do they go yeah, the application forms are on the Cork City Council website. So it's corkcity.ie forward slash recruitment. Um, and they'll find all the information there. And the deadline is next Friday. So if they want to apply, they have to get their applications in before next Friday. And if you weren't in this radio game and you were doing something else, uh, would you consider it? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I definitely think it's a calling for people. And, um, you know, the guys that I was speaking to there, to there yesterday, like, you know, Irene and Cheryl and Martin and Victor and all of the crew that were there yesterday, um, they were saying to me that it's a real, like, family unit that they have there and, the, you know, a job for life. And they, you know, there's been so many opportunities for them there. And, you know, I, I loved the, the challenges and the tasks. But um, 
I'm not sure if I would be able to cope with, you know, if you had to go into a burning building knowing that there was people inside that you couldn't save. Um, and I'm not sure if I'd be able to cope very well with that. But um, it's definitely, if this, if this doesn't work out for me, JP. <laughs> <laughs> if things change in the next few days, you could be... Uh, one to consider, yeah. You could be seeing Fiona Gray around in the firefighting in the fire brigade <laughs> over the next while. Uh, yeah, and it is, it's, it's tough up. because if you are in that situation, you are thinking the worst, I suppose, all the time. So you're trying to get the positives mm. and trying to realise that you can save this person. But yeah, very, very tough job. And I think everybody realises the work they do uh, and the job and the responsibility they have. Anyhow, we're going to hear your report and hear more about that, uh, what happened yesterday in Ballyvillan. But for the moment, Fiona, uh, you won't be carrying the hose around anywhere or going around uh, doing river <laughs> no, rescues. No, I just have the microphone there. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Fiona. Thank you. Our senior news report. Fiona Corcoran and here is her day yesterday in more detail uh, from Ballyvalan training for the Cork City Fire Brigade Station officer Irene Wallace putting us through the suitability test So the first one was that we were running out of hose reel for 25 metres and then you were jogging back of the 25 metres then our second test was that you were carrying two lengths of 70 mil hose one in each arm, and again you were running up 25 metres, turning and running back. For the recruitment it'll be running of 50 metres up to 100. This was after climbing through a smoky tunnel to rescue a baby. And we were required to climb a 13.5 metre high ladder. The main thing is you kind of lean back, right? So extend your arms out fully and you try and make sure that you're quite comfortable. There are a few snag hazards as Fiona goes up the ladder, you have the ropes, the pulleys. And all the while wearing the heavy fire retardant uniform, helmet Simple and mask. The full gear, in, the in the heat and a nice bit of sweat going on. This is just a taster of what the 20 new recruits will be required to do on their 14 week training programme. Second Fire Officer Victor Shine explains the type of candidates they're looking, looking for. for motivation. We're looking for somebody that is driven to be able to come in and you saw us towards the end when you were getting tired, we were pushing, we were pushing, we were pushing. Okay, that happens in real life at the fire calls where the officers are demanding 110, 120% of what you would normally be able to give. And that's what we're looking for. And they're particularly interested in recruiting young women. That you'll be able to go out to deal with children, be able to deal with casualties in a way a female can. The male, we're, we're trying to adapt to different roles, but the, the motherly nature of, of, a, of a female, okay, has its own particular characters. This is the first time that the fire service has opened to new recruits since 2012, and Victor explains the process to get to full-time firefighter. Initially it's 14 weeks, and then you have a probationary period of 12 months, where you do modules during that 12 months, you're assessed every month during that programme. And at the end, you have a consolidation week where you're assessed by the peers of the, um, the fire service. That would be myself, the training officer, the breeding apparatus officer and so on. And you, whether you make it or not is decided at the end of the 12 months. <laughs> the deadline for applications is Friday, September 25th. And anyone who's interested can apply through the Cork City Council website, corkcity.ie forward slash recruitment.
And thanks to our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran there in Ballyvillan yesterday with the Cork City Fire Brigade. And it just shows when you hear that baby she mentioned in the interview and you hear it there in the particular report. Uh, God, it shows the reality of what actually they face day in, day out and they are recruiting and best of luck to all uh, in that particular recruitment process and to all uh, who work daily within our Cork City Fire Service and uh, well, thanks to our own Fiona who went through that intense training yesterday as well there in Ballyvalan. But from fires to movies, this is something I mentioned back at the very start of the show regarding the meat industry and this is how meat industry and indeed the health authorities, uh, they've been slammed after it has emerged that a meat plant in Cork had uh, 226 positive COVID cases but never closed creating a major health risk even. Now I know local politicians have hit out on this and we'll get to back to this in more detail on the show on Monday uh, but callers are concerned because many have uh, said over the last number of days when we are calling out, well not us but when the Nefish are calling out the actual areas of Ireland whereby there is a situation where maybe eight cases in Cork or a hundred cases in Dublin when it comes to COVID-19 why don't we break down those areas and why don't we know in Cork exactly where uh, the particular outbreaks are and then when we hear that a meat plant in Cork had 226 positive COVID cases but it never closed down And the big thing also here is the local community were not informed. When you look at all of that, you're kind of asking the question, well, do we need to look at the way we're reporting? And that's what Tim is saying here. He's saying, I've listened to your show over the last few weeks and I do agree with some of your callers who are asking for a further breakdown on where the COVID cases are. Yes, I know it might cause consternation if there's a certain town has a case and others don't. And maybe there is data protection issues around this. But Tim says, I would rather know for myself and I think others would as well. When I hear the story this morning coming from meat factories, it's very worrying that this is happening. What else is happening that we're not being told of in the community? Why many of us are wearing masks and obeying by the rules even though we may disagree with the rules, we are all obeying by them. We're trying to anyhow at least. Tim says it's unfair to think that these decisions are happening and the public are being kept in the dark. While Rita uh, feels that it's unfair, uh, the local community wasn't told in this situation only for it being raised in the doll, will we ever have found out? And Barbara is saying, what have the meat industry have over this country? Look back over the years when we have a situation with tribunals and much more, it all comes from the meat industry. So what is happening? Well, it was raised in the doll. And it was actually raised, it was the Sinn Féin uh, deputy leader, Piers Doherty, did raise it. And he uh, was questioning why nothing was done and nothing had happened. And like Barbara uh, questioning what does the meat industry have over the country, he asked a similar question. He said that the meat barons, as he, as Mr. Doherty has put it, he said they're playing with people's lives in the interest of profits and adding that testing was suspended in plants last week when the capacity reached 72,000 and not the 100,000 limit. And that is the, the worry there because I know we were in touch with Meat Industry Ireland uh, over the summer and we did contact them initially at the start of the summer asking them were they testing in meat plants in Cork. They told us then they were not and then in August we got onto 
them again and they confirmed that they were testing nationwide and that the testing was conducted by the HSE and then a few weeks ago and indeed last week then we heard on the show uh, that the HSE has stopped testing at meat factories something now that people are asking why this is happening a lot of local politicians saying this is completely unacceptable and many asking now for answers from Meat Industry Ireland after this after so many promises anyhow we'll uh, get back to that on Monday's show and see what will come out of that particular situation that is ongoing today and that was first reported in the Irish Examiner earlier and also we have a lot of calls in people asking uh, where is their bingo this weekend where is their drive-in bingo I know we had calls yesterday more texts I see here today and thanks to Tom McCarthy who has been on to say there is drive-in bingo in Araglin Community Field and that's on this coming Sunday at 3 o'clock so Araglin Community Field this coming Sunday at 3 o'clock for drive-in bingo Earlier on this morning Carol was saying that she noticed a number of Dublin Ridge cars landing in West Cork already she felt they were escaping the lockdown we did say that some people here in Cork do drive D-Reg cars not all uh, would be from Dublin but now we've got other texts across the morning Pat saying the dubs are bringing the virus into West Cork now they're travelling into the area ahead of their level 3 uh, which is not a full lockdown for Dublin but there is going to be new restrictions for them and John in Bantry he was on a train recently going to uh, Dublin from Cork with 43 people on board he says but coming back, the train had 150 people going to Cork. So he feels that people are trying to get out of Dublin and that this is going to spread the virus around the country. Uh, John Doe making the point out of all of this that they have locked down Dublin too late. Uh, they should have done it. They're talking about all these particular cases. Uh, they've been increasing for the last week. They keep saying this, but yet did nothing. And it's only now uh, they're deciding to enforce these restrictions in Dublin. Why did they not do this over over the last number of weeks when they saw the numbers increasing. So John and also uh, Timothy on a text with those particular issues. Thank you for your calls and texts. Uh, something uh, that will be announced later this evening about those restrictions by the government for Dublin. But that's it from us. Nick Richards is along from one on a Feel Good Friday here at C103. Martina from four. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced today. And on Monday's show, we're going to hear how the bars here in Cork that don't serve food, what they will look like when they reopen on Monday. And also on the show on Monday, Patricia is back, by the way, on Monday as well. Also on the show, we will be debating the Dying with Dignity Bill. That and more on Monday's show from 10am. Until then, enjoy your weekend. I'm John Paul McNamara. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 